Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. You are listening to part two of our 150th episode. Uh, and this is the episode where we will cover the top five movies involving hauntings, uh, Redux edition. Um, so if you didn't listen to the first part of this, uh, that involved us kind of reviewing our very first episode ever, which was the top five movies involving hauntings. Uh, and kind of like reminiscing on like, you know, where our mindset was with the podcast that early on. Uh, if you're just picking up with this episode, um, the reason that we were doing this, something we had decided to do quite a while ago, I think for this 150th, probably like six or seven months ago. Um, Frank, you discussed on the first part, like if you just want to kind of like tell people like, you know, like why are we redoing this list kind of? I mean, when we first started doing the podcast, um, neither of us really had any kind of uh, confidence that we would last past maybe I don't know who knows how many episodes but probably not nearly even like half of what we've gotten to um, and still retain any sort of like interest or continuity um, consistency whatever so a lot of what I tried to do was to kind of get my shit in with stuff I wanted to talk about um, which is why the initial podcast you have Scrooge um on that list for hauntings and also the lady in white um two movies that i i really love and i really wanted to talk about but i think there's better better representation although in my opinion we did a good job talking about them so yeah, i was did. surprised Absolutely. by uh how that episode kind of holds up um when i thought it would be like just absolute garbage so sure no pleasant surprise yeah um, um yeah, so there's some holdovers um, from that original list, a couple of new movies uh, that we'll be talking about some tonight. Um, before we get into them, though, uh, I remember asking you this on the first podcast uh, to some degree, like, uh, uh, and I don't expect people to go back and listen to that necessarily, but what, is, uh, what do you think makes a good ghost movie? I think there has to be a feeling of unease like in the majority of the scenes where because ghosts inherently are you know these like ephemeral ethereal things that just kind of like move in and out of your reality you kind of have to be on the edge of your seat sort of with ghost movies with the feeling that that might happen at any time um it's one of the problems with the modern western ghost movies in my opinion stuff like um insidious and the conjuring is that the ghosts always feel like they have too much weight to them like they feel too there's too much of a sense of permanence with the ghosts they're like i always call them like fat ghosts but it's like it looks like somebody in a costume or it looks like somebody in a um in makeup or whatever and it just doesn't uh just doesn't have the same feeling of like the really good ghost movies which in a lot of ways like you never even see the ghosts in many instances um or you see it very fleetingly or it's something that kind of moves in and out of reality um mm-hmm. so yeah you definitely have to have that feeling of i don't know almost like weightlessness isn't the right word but etherealness or yeah something. yeah yeah like a, yeah that's that's probably a good way to put it where stuff is just there and then it's not there and then you'll see something in a scene and then you don't see it and i think all the best ghost movies kind of have that um you know that feeling of uh again just that it's not necessarily jump scares but just that something can 
something can happen at any time because that's like the nature of, of a ghost. Mm-hmm. So, um, are there, what are some just, uh, I'm not going to ask you what else you might've thought about putting on this list. Cause we've talked about it twice now, but, um, what, what are, what are some other good ghost movies that, that you would recommend still? Uh, I mean, the ring is a really good ghost movie. And we've talked about that before, um, both the American remake and the original Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, Ringu 2, uh, the Japanese, is, is also decent as a ghost movie. Um, there's a uh, Kaishi Kurosawa movie um, called Charisma that has some decent like spectral things in it um same with his movie cure even though it's not like ghosts it's got some some ghostly elements to it um the eye is actually a really good ghost movie uh from early 2000s uh chinese i think that movie is bangkok maybe it's thai but anyway um yeah it's the pang brothers so it's it's thai a really good ghost movie that was remade poorly with jessica alba um there is the haunting from like the 40s is a good ghost movie or 50s uh the innocence which is a turn of the screw adaptation from the 40s is a really good ghost movie um there's actually so i almost talked about this when we talked about um on the spin chagrin we did ghosts in weird places i think was the mm-hmm. uh, the category yeah um mr james is in my opinion like the master of the gothic ghost story and there's a series of bbc short um i don't know films is right word like vignettes almost that are adaptations of mr james stories so there's um uh lost hearts and whistle and i'll come my lad and the mezzotint um the elm tree elm tree cherry tree the some kind of tree um those are all really good ghost stories and done in a way that um with a low budget and limited technology but are still really effective uh particularly whistle and i'll come my lad um one of my favorite ghost stories of all time um and those are all on youtube for free um through the bbc um i was trying to think um do you count do you, do you consider things like um malevolent spirits like i mean because some of these are all malevolent spirits so i mean i guess like do you, do you make a distinction i guess i'm asking between like things like unseen maybe demonic energies or poltergeists or stuff like that from kind of like hauntings i mean poltergeist maybe like poltergeist itself i guess is a ghost movie but to me that's more of a possession movie i guess it's a haunting movie i don't know um, what about that movie Lights is... Out that you had me watch a couple years ago? Uh, but is that really a ghost? I don't know. To me, like things like that and um, Insidious, not Insidious. Uh, what's the movie with um, what's Sinister? Yeah, Sinister. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that those are ghosts, but it's more like a demonic entity sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, I really like Lights Out is almost a uh, like a super dark like marvel movie really because it's about a 
a girl with supernatural powers that's like um bright burn or whatever i mean there's plenty a lot of movies like that where there's mm-hmm. some kid that's got super like carrie is a good example a kid with like supernatural powers that causes things to happen um yeah i don't know i mean i don't know i don't know how to do, i guess maybe define yeah. like what is or what isn't i just some movies feel more like ghost movies and some movies feel like um possession movies or demonic movies or yeah like malevolent spirits which to me maybe is a little different i think there's okay so i think there's a sense of like i think to truly for me to be like a movie about a haunting or like ghosts there has to be a sense of sadness and loss Mm. inherent to Mm -hmm. the thing that's like haunting the area like you can't just be and we're actually going to talk about like pretty much the opposite of that coming up, but I still think there's some <laughs> sadness to it. Oh, but sure. Yeah. It can't just be like, here's this spirit that just does wants nothing but to like kill or hurt humans. There has to be some element of like, you know, humanity on the other side of it for it to really feel like a like a ghost mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. That's why Lady in White is such a great movie because the you think that the ghost is like the villain of that movie, and then it's really you know the family friend that's like murdering children basically right. is the, the true villain and the ghosts are kind of almost the heroes of the movie and there's definitely like a sadness to that yeah so it's it's funny because we watched frankie and i watched a movie tonight that i would not call a good movie it was it was it was okay it had some really good elements but it was mediocre and i guessed what was happening like 10 minutes in but um christina ricci vehicle called monstrous that came out this year mm. um which starts as one thing but turns out to be a ghost movie kind of Mm -hmm. um and again like the ghost element of it is more about like the sadness of a situation and it's about loss and so it makes it kind of um makes it interesting so yeah all right so i don't even know how to introduce this number five on your list is like basically the first two like four movies of the juan series the curse the curse two the grudge and grudge two um that come out between 2000 and 2003 uh all of them directed by takashi shimisu and it had the they're all over the place in terms of who's reviewed what um so i'm not even going to go into the rotten tomatoes scores but they're all roughly that those that have scores both critically and audience wise are between 55 and um 60 like you know seven percent it looks like um so you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about these and the history behind them i guess probably too um for those that maybe aren't familiar uh so originated in um what the late 90s with a couple of short films and then some direct-to-video two direct-to-video movies and then two theatrical releases um juan is a continuous story over the course of basically the what i the the portion i just said but then like it shoots off in different directions that details the idea that if someone dies and I'll, i'll try and paraphrase this um if someone dies in the grip of like a terrible anger that their spirit will remain where they died and will try and pass on like that pain and anger to whoever it comes in contact with um which is the idea of uh the curse and the grudge um and the basic story is that there's this family um the uh, uh Sa- saikis 
um, which is a father, a mother, and a little boy, Toshio. Um, the father murders the mother because he suspects that she's had an affair and that the child is not his. Um, murders the boy's cat, too. Um, and then, so the mother, uh, Kayako, who's the actual like main antagonist of the entire series, like her ghost, her malevolent spirit, um, had a crush on a college era boy that she knew that she was in love with and finds out that he's actually to Toshio, her son's teacher. So she becomes obsessed with him again and starts writing about him in her journal. Um, so the husband finds the journal and gets enraged and thinks that she's cheating on him. So he murders her, murders her cat, and then goes and finds the teacher's pregnant wife and kills her and rips the fetus out and kills it. Um, at the same time that the teacher is trying to do a welfare check on Toshio. Um, so everybody dies basically. And the Kayako's ghost is like raised as a vengeful spirit. Um, the teacher, uh, Kobayashi, I think is his name, ends up having a heart attack and dying in the house. And then her spirit finds her husband and kills him. And so they're all dead. Yes, everybody's, so then everybody's dead. Yeah. The, so the subsequent movies are about people that come into contact with the house and then taking the curse of the house with them and then basically infecting like other parts of the world. So this is something we'll talk about, um, which is done to better effect in the movie pulse um, that we'll talk about later or Cairo. Um, but the idea that like parts of the world can become haunted just by you taking like this, like ominous presence with you. Um, so it just generally like, there's a really good if, if you're interested in watching these movies and it's it, it's an investment in time because you pretty much have to give up like about six hours to really like get the full story from the two theatrical releases and the two uh direct-to-video releases maybe like seven hours um the general story is that these families move into this house after the murder happens and slowly become infected with this curse where um they're killed by kayako or toshio causes them to die or um the spirit of a uh, takeo comes and kills them or whatever or infects them and then they are killing each other and eventually just like there's very few people that are left unaffected by or very few people that are left alive and eventually most of them through the course of these movies die too um the problem with watching the movies and <clears throat> i'm going to say off the bat that the composition and direction of some of the scenes in this movie are some of the best ghost haunting like supernatural things you'll see in film mm -hmm. the problem is that because it's a very limited idea like it's kind of like what happens when you watch the ring sequels um right i mean ultimately like sadako was just doing the same thing over and over and it's the same thing with like like kayako where inevitably she's going to come crawling down the stairs doing the thing mm -hmm. or that's going to be the noise or right. they're going to pop up and the kid like Toshio is going to be all blue and like staring at him and then somebody's going to grab him I mean generally like the same things happen over and over and because of the way the movies are directed they don't you don't see scenes chronologically so a lot of times 
especially because you're not watching something in English. Sometimes it's difficult to keep track of like, why is this person alive again? Or like, why is this thing happening now? Or, and because it all looks like generally similar and he uses scenes from the curse movies, which came before and kind of redoes them for the grudge movies that you're basically seeing the same exact things that it becomes sort of a mess. Um, mm-hmm. If you're interested in watching them, if you Google Juwan or if you search for Juwan on YouTube, um, there's a guy who's taken the two short films and the two direct-to-video films and re-edited them together to be chronologically um, accurate so that when you watch it, you see everything as it happens. And it actually leads into the grudge movies much better where it makes more sense. Mm. So that when you finally watch um, Juwan the Grudge and Juwan 2 the Grudge, um you're really seeing like the entire timeline of like these hauntings um the series progressed like far beyond that there's um two movies from the mid-2000s called black ghost white ghosts that sort of just continue the mythology that aren't that great um there's a couple of reboots japanese reboots from the later 2000s that also just kind of mediocre uh there's a ridiculous um kayako versus sadako movie from like 2016 that's you know the main female antagonists of the grudge and the main female antagonists of um, the ring and they're kind of like at odds with each other it's it's a ridiculous movie Mm -hmm. then on top of that um they made three american grudge movies which technically all fall into the chronology of the japanese grudge movies just because the curses moved to america Mm -hmm. Um, it apparently gets really lame and not very interesting to watch. So, most American um, remakes of those things do after a while, at least. Is the Ring the only good? The only good one, really? Nah, the Dark Water. Oh, Dark Water. Yeah, Dark Water. It was John Conley. Yep, that was. Yeah. Um, also, the Tale of Two Sisters remake is um, above average. Is that the one with uh, Elizabeth Banks in it playing? Yeah. The yep. I, I can never remember what it's called. It's okay. I mean, it's better than it. You know, it's better than a majority. Here's here's what I would say about that movie. Right, it pales in comparison to A Tale of Two Sisters because A Tale of Two Sisters is one of the most masterful like psychological horror movies of the past like thirty years. The Uninvited is the Uninvited, right? But if you had seen The Uninvited without ever seeing A Tale of Two Sisters, it would be a very it would be a really enjoyable movie. Sure, and would be really well done. I think it's just it's yeah. Tale of right. so there's really good ghosts in that movie too tale of two yeah. sisters mm-hmm. um even though the ghosts end up being like just a psychological um whatever um effect of the psychosis of the one girl um it's still like the way they present them is is really creepy and really well done <clears throat> so ringu which we talked about late last year i believe um uh on the 90s horror movie list uh that comes out two years before this so um that's more of the traditional kind of i guess like hair hair in front of the face um like kind of silent like stalking walking version where this is like uh this has sound to it like you know um well because they're different ghosts right right that's what i'm saying so different kinds of ghosts yes right um but both of those two movies kind of popularize, I guess, this notion of like the long dark hair, like 
to at least to a new generation i guess of americans um yeah i mean it was like then aped for you know two decades sure to various degrees of effect by like western film the thing with like the japanese culture though and i guess it's true for asian culture but just specifically because these are all um like japanese movies is that like the idea of like yokai or whatever that the this these spirits that just live in the world that are both like benevolent and malevolent and sometimes just just exist um is a really like deeply ingrained part of their culture um not only in terms of like a spiritual or folklore sense but in terms of the idea of the the urban legend or the local myth or whatever um and so a lot of the movies you see that um involve you know japanese ghosts you're gonna have like kind of repeated motifs because you know there's the onryu which is what um uh kayako is which is a spirit of vengeance Mm -hmm. um and that's why in terms of like the look like the white gown the long hair that's why her and sadako are similar because they're the same kind of you know spirit of vengeance Mm -hmm. but like there's a series called the slip mouth woman which is based on um, an urban legend and a like a yokai from I can't remember some part of Japan um, of a woman who is disfigured by like a jilted lover or whatever, where her face is split like at the corners of her mouth, mm-hmm. um, and she asks you like, "Am I pretty?" and whatever. So, and if you say whatever, and she the basic gist is that she murders you like this goes. Mm-hmm. But that's the spirit of vengeance, but it's different because it's like a different kind of yokai, and then. Right um there's actually a really cool series they're not as easy to watch because they're um 60s or 70s japanese movies so it's very um you would hate them they're very reminiscent of like the toho uh godzilla stuff and the way they look mm-hmm. um but there's a series of movies that are about yokai uh from japan from the 70s they're all like talk about like all the different kinds and they're really good and then Takashi Miike. Um, actually made a movie in the early 2000s called the great yokai war where it's just like hundreds of these different spirits that the japanese um have in their folklore and their myth that he puts in the movie so mm. and like quite on like you know you go watch quite on and there's the woman in the snow and the woman right. in the snow is the woman in white with the long sure even though she's like a, a winter spirit or whatever mm-hmm. um yeah, a lot of female spirits in, in Japanese folklore. Um, but yeah, so you see a lot of repeated elements in there. Um, and we're going to talk about another movie that actually has a similar ghost, although it's a child. Um, right. But it's done to really great effect in these movies. Um, so yeah, let's bring it back to Juan. I want to bring it back to Juan. So you mentioned about the visuals and this and like, you know, like the scares and stuff. Like what are some of the ones that like really stand out to you? Um, I love all the times where um, someone who's dead is like behind frosted glass, kind of like looking down hmm. where you can see it from the viewer's perspective, but the characters can't see it. Yeah. Um, they do a couple especially early on they 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 do it to really great effect in the curse and then i don't think it looks as good in the grudge because it's like a little too polished but the shadowy form that's like enveloping a living person and then 
there's just two like white human eyes in the middle of it um which is really cool um the first time you see the kayako uh like spider crawl down the stairs with the death rattle Mm -hmm. behind her and like the um the eyes rolling there's actually maybe my favorite scene in um the entire series is in the curse two i think is where it happens where the daughter of the family that's moved into the house or no i'm sorry the a friend of one of the kids that lives in the house has been infected and kayako has ripped her jaw off like taken mm-hmm. her jaw and she goes to the house to kind of like to die basically and you see her shuffle past the mother who's on the phone and then the mother hears something thump and then the way that he films it is you see the mother it's like a split level house so there's like a set of stairs going up to a landing then another set of stairs that goes up to like the the sleeping areas and so you see the mother on the first landing like like with trepidation like kind of going up and then the girl who's dead at this point is like making these really unnatural like shoulder jerk movements as she like shuffles up the stairs and as the mother comes and rounds the corner and sees her you see her start to turn but you just see like her eyes that are rolled up in her head Mm -hmm. and when she turns around like her entire jaw is missing and her tongue is just kind of like hanging there and um it's an incredibly like effective scene and um the way that he builds the tension up to like her turning around because and that's the thing too is like you know what's there and the character in the movie doesn't know and so you have that too of like you know this is your chance to just like go but she doesn't and she ends up um the mother has a heart attack and dies from like the stress of like seeing that character um there's also there's some other stuff like when um uh, kobayashi the the guy that uh, kayako was in love with is standing in their house and he's like on the precipice of taking toshio and like leaving um and the father calls him on his cell phone and is like hey you know you're there with my son why don't we swap like let's take turns because i raised him you know now you can raise him and i'll like take care of your baby because he's just cut the fetus mm-hmm. out of the guy's pregnant wife i mean that's like a really like horrific yeah, idea yes, absolutely and the so the problem is when you for i and you'll have to tell me because you watched them um i watched the youtube version which like basically splices them together in the proper order mm-hmm. i don't know that they do a good enough job of really telling you that that's what he did no I didn't know the first time I saw that movie that's what had happened. I had no idea. Like, I thought it was the cat, actually, that he had in the bag. Right. And then he was basically just saying, like, I've murdered my wife, and now I'm giving you your bastard son. I thought it was the cat for a number of years because you told me it was the cat back I thought like I was thought it was. Right, back yeah, in like I know 2003 idea. or four or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely the fetus of <laughs> yeah. that guy's, like, unborn child. Yeah. Um. Also, I th- the translation is better, I think, now than it used to be when I had the... Because... Mm. Like when I first watched these movies and when I showed them to Chris and our friend Chuck, these were incredibly degraded bootleg VHS tapes that had come from probably like being taped off of a tape in Japan and then sent like over here. Um, so you missed a lot and the translation was really bad. Sometimes words would be cut out of the the subtitles, so you couldn't always get a good idea. Um but yeah it's much more effective like i think when you watch it chronologically and you can actually see it also implies and i've never seen this until i watched it this time that maybe kobayashi did like it implies that she 
took him home a few times and got him really drunk because his weakness was alcohol mm-hmm. and that he may that she may have gotten pregnant by him so toshio may indeed be right his son and it never like really clarifies that but it implies it and that also makes it a little more right interesting yeah. so yeah yeah i think the toshio stuff is i think that's my favorite stuff rewatching these after all these years is um is the way he handles the toshio character in terms of the way that others see him um so at times like he's just like staring out like you know a window other times um it's almost like what you were saying before we started which is it's almost like time slipping where it's like from the perspective of the character it's like he sees sees it out of the corner of his eye and then like you know or the or, or Toshio is like behind him in some way right and then like turns and like it's not there and where it's like he hears running or sees running and then it's like um and it's almost like he can only get glimpses when they want him to get glimpses um in certain scenes i also love that elevator scene as well um it's one of yeah it's good like uh where she's going up the elevators and you just see toshio like you know each floor um until you get to the floor she's stopping on then he's not there like in the window i think it's a brilliant um yeah brilliant shot that's the thing too is that it really again like watching it again this time and watching all these movies basically in chronological order um you really understand that it's the idea that this curse can like it just like trails after him like it's with mm-hmm. them and following them because you think the one girl um uh reggie or reiki or whatever Ricky, the yeah. mm-hmm. um the social worker right who's at the start of the first grudge movie you think that she's like kind of got like she's clear mm-hmm. and then she's not you know she ends right. up basically becoming like the new kayako um she gets sucked in and um is sort of like takes her place in a way um i would recommend watching again search for it on youtube and watch the the recut um version of the curse movies and the two short films because the short films are like three minutes long each four minutes long each or something like that um and then watch the grudge one and the grudge two and then i would recommend watching origins which is the netflix series because i thought mm-hmm. that was really good as well it was good yeah. uh, but everything else is completely skippable like you don't have to see anything else black ghost white ghost has some okay stuff but it's just way too much of it like it's it's like okay like i've seen the same exact thing you know seven or eight times now like i don't need to see it again um but yeah i think they're really good representations i think it's a really good mythology um, and I definitely am super impressed with the amount of uh, dedication that he has to just crafting this universe and sticking with it. So mm-hmm. you don't really get to see that much, especially with the same creator, like sort of at the helm. Right. True. All right. So number four on your list, um, staying in Japan, is 2002's Dark Water. It is directed by Hideo Nakata. It stars Hitomi Kuroki and Ryo Kano. It has an 81% from critics and a 65% from audiences. So you want to tell That's us? That's crazy about? to me. They're all in the 60s, man. Yeah. Like all the all the Japanese stuff for some reason is always in the 60s. Um, so this may be one of the saddest ghost movies. Um, one of the saddest ghost movies I've ever seen. Um, the general plot is uh, 
um, Yoshimi is this woman who is in the middle of a divorce where she has like no money and no status and her husband, her ex, her husband that she's trying to divorce um, is powerful and has money. And she, they both want custody of uh, their daughter, Ikuku, Ikuko. Um, so uh, Yoshimi has to move into this rundown low rent building in a bad part of town in order to have a place for her and her daughter to live um while she's trying to wish work like a publishing house she's trying to um start this job and maintain this job at this publishing house because that's what she did before she had a baby um so as soon as they move in like the place has this really oppressive atmosphere it's very dank there's like water everywhere and water stains um especially in the um in their living room area like there's this like giant like water spot in the ceiling that seems to like grow and like pulse um so eventually they start seeing uh this girl in the hallways who's uh um never really get a good look at her but she's wearing like a yellow slicker and has like a red purse red boots um and she kind of like disappears and uh yoshimi eventually finds out that um, her name was Mizuko, I think, and she had disappeared a year prior and nobody could find her. Um, so her daughter starts getting like drawn to this apartment that's above them. And it turns out that was Mizuko's apartment. And um, the general just is that Mizuko is trying to take the place of um, Ikuku so she can have a mother again. So what Yoshimi finds out is that um, she keeps finding this red... Uh, it's like a Hello Kitty-esque, like, you know, child's, like, purse. And that um, Izuko had gone upstairs on a day where they were cleaning the water tank on the roof. And she had dropped her purse in it and fallen in and then gotten sealed up and died. So her spirit has, like, kind of, you know, taken on this, like, water spirit aspect. And it's sort of, like, infesting the whole place. So they try to get away. And Yoshimi realizes that the only way that she can save her daughter is by basically staying behind and becoming a mother to um, Mizuko, which she does, um, and, you know, pushes her daughter out and gets her daughter to leave. Um, and then 10 years later, I guess it's 10 years later, the end of the movie um, is the older Aikuko coming back now, and the building's, like, clean and looks well-maintained and completely different. Um, but her mother's spirit is there, and she wants to stay with her mother's spirit, and um, Mizuko kind of appears behind her, and her mother's like, no, like, you have to go. Like, I'm always watching over you, but this is where I belong now. And so um, basically this woman that really had like all these things aligned against her in this terrible life and <clears throat> kind of, I guess, what's the patriarchal society of Japan where the men have the power, um, had to sacrifice everything that she had, like her whole life. And um, to this, you know, the spirit of this like child who was lost and had the mentality of a child, like doesn't understand, I guess, basically like why she's alone and why she doesn't have a mother anymore um and sacrifices it to save her own daughter um really beautifully shot like it's um one of the grimiest feeling movies i think i've ever seen uh where you feel like if like you can almost smell like the mildew and like yeah. the yeah. the wetness of everything just the way that he films it like there's always like a sheen of water dripping down like a surface or pulling on the floor yeah um this is another one of those ghosts where um 
not really like you don't really get they don't throw the ghosts at you in your face like that's so much um so mizuko is always kind of like in the background and sort of just like haunting like the edges of the movie um and it's more like the story of her that's and it's really it's it's so like sad the way that they tell it you know of this like poor girl that basically like died and then was abandoned um and doesn't even realize like why she was abandoned or you know why she's alone she just wants a mother basically um but yeah really well filmed uh really poignant um it's one of those things where you asked me off air uh about like or you, you know in the beginning of this podcast we talked about it off air too like what is it about like the Japanese horror movies that make them better? And it's like, I think it's this idea of like the inescapable, like the fate or whatever, like that that's your, your destiny is to like, kind of like live in darkness and live in the shadows and be this spirit that just sort of like haunts this one place, you know, because like, that's your sacrifice. Like, and you have no, there's no escape from that like that's your eternity is just being stuck and i think it's the idea of that is really kind of terrifying and the best japanese horror movies really play into that idea where it's like almost like the ghost doesn't even know that it's harming someone because it doesn't understand like why it's stuck in the circumstance it's in but then it just keeps like drawing other people in and where they're stuck um in that same kind of like haunted reality or whatever that's like inevitable and it's really like heartwarming at the end even though it's still super sad that the mm-hmm. mother's you know like she was never able to be a really good mother to a koku because she had to balance you know she's like never on time picking her up from school and she's scatterbrained and she, you know she's kind of like worried and has like all this weight on her all the time and now like in death she's just able to like do the one thing that she wanted to do in life which is you know take care of her child um and she had to do it by sacrificing her life to take care of this other child so yeah the jennifer Connolly remake is actually really good um doesn't necessarily do anything new with it but it does it from a western perspective which is always interesting like when they're done well to see like that counterbalance between the two um i would recommend watching it if you've never seen it just at some point um, i think it's free somewhere uh but yeah just um and uh nakata's you know he's the um behind the ring series so you know one of the foremost japanese like horror directors and definitely the most maybe the most influential i would say the most influential horror director from that time period just in general because he's the one that is really big into using color to sort of like tints so that you associate certain colors with the presence of the supernatural mm-hmm. in this movie i would say it's more greens and browns and in like the ring it's like blues right but then it led to your pet peeve which is <laughs> everything bl- being blue the blueing of every like horror movie ever yeah until green became the new blue <laughs> Well, he he beat him to the punch there too right so. um yeah i think this is i haven't re-watched this in close to 20 years or whatever i i think this is my favorite actually of all the japanese um like horror films of that time period uh, because i think and you kind of were saying it i think it works as a drama 
um and sure in social commentary too i i think that like there's a subtext to a lot of it like you know um as well and yeah i mean there there's an actual narrative and there's actual characterization um it's not just people necessarily like you know it's not plot driven it's more character driven i think um this and so i think it works as both a drama and and just happens to have a supernatural element to it as well um um and yeah super sad um bittersweet i mean loving mother like you know that that it's a it's a it's a heart-wrenching scene at the very end of this yeah. movie um but yeah i i like the ghosts the the ghost girl in this like i think like the way it's filmed is is really good and it's just um i think it's a character that you can kind of like you know root for and get swept up in in terms of the mother and um yeah like i i, I think it just works really well as just a movie without it even being a supernatural movie um, where the other ones are kind of like you know really good at being kind of horror movies um, and I mean all of these to some degree but it's like all all of this is all these movies like they're all rooted in trauma in some way um, because they're all involving usually ghosts and death so um, but I think there's like different types of trauma in this movie compared to the other ones it's not just somebody's dying they're out for vengeance or like you know these bad things happen in this place and you know like somebody's trying to get somebody to notice that like you know i i think there's like other types of trauma that are going on here as well and as much as like well, we both love flanagan a lot like in his recent um television series and stuff it's like i that's what he's always playing with is this idea of like you know um of of hauntings being some sort of trauma and and i and i think there's some of that going on here that um that he's playing with um in planning it also understands the japanese concept of the noble sacrifice where Mm -hmm. um yeah that there has to be like so to me to kind of like refine that definition i i think that really is what makes a movie about a haunting is where it's not just like here's this ghost like attacking people it's the fact that like the human realization that there has to be something given up to kind of like appease the ghost or move on from the haunting or whatever um and that's maybe the real horror of the juan series is that there's nothing you can do to appease them because they're just going to be angry forever but um in this movie and in other movies like especially that's that's actually the best twist of ringu is the idea that you think that that's what is needed is, you know, they got to lay Sadako to rest, like get her out of the well and, you know, do right. like a consecrated burial. But it doesn't matter because she was evil from the beginning. So all they did was make it worse by like letting her out into the world. So, um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Dark Water, I, crazy that like it's so low as an audience score because, I mean, I think among fans of the genre, I think it's generally considered to be like one of, if not the best of that initial flood of like j-horror um i i mean i think it's one of the best i would argue that my number three movie is the better movie but i think that's splitting hairs because they're both really good yeah um so if you want to talk real quick just about um about that 60 percent and why that happens i mean it's all the same stuff with the japanese movies um which is that they're all very slow um and 
people get really bored by the slowness of 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 all of them. That's it's a common complaint among all of them. Yeah, I guess that's why James Wan is so successful because I mean it's like you don't want Michael Bay directing your horror movies. You know what I mean? Like I don't need to be right. beat over the the head with the constant jump scares and dissonant violins and friggin' tuning forks. Like just you know, build a scare and then let it like like ebb and flow. You know what I mean? Like you have to have like that's what keeps you tense because if you're constantly you know that's why people go deaf if they attend too many rock concerts like if the volume's always at 100 like eventually you can't hear anything so you gotta have like turn up to 11 yeah right you gotta have moments where like your weight you're anticipating the thing to happen but they might like tease it out for just a few minutes longer than you think it should be and then all of a sudden they get you again so i don't know right um the the one of the oddities about this movie um to me is the is the real life tragedy that took place afterwards um which is so crazy is that eliza lamb case uh with the girl that like went missing and they ended up finding her um oh yeah now we're on top of the hotel um after like people in the building noticed like a bad taste of the water and stuff like that um horrifying horrifying like real life case um you know that's still talked yeah. about to this day in terms of conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff yeah, that ridiculous netflix oh god yeah um but yeah but i that th- that's where most people if you've never seen this movie maybe maybe have heard about this movie before if you've ever heard about that case this this movie tends to come up um a lot um uh, in reference um to, to that real life case but <clears throat> um all right so number three on your list is a combo breaker um leaving japan <laughs> for a bit um 1980s the changeling it is directed by peter medak it stars george c scott trish van devere and melvin douglas it has an 83 percent from critics and a 79 percent from audiences um so we talked about this back on episode one but do you want to tell people a little bit about this movie and um and what you think about it uh, George C. Scott is a famous composer slash like concert hall musician um, whose wife and daughter, son, daughter. His, his wife and daughter are killed in a freak um, automobile accident on like a snowy mountain road. Um, he's devastated. So he's moved to this old house uh, to kind of get away from like his memories and emotions or whatever but unfortunately the house he moves into is haunted as fuck um so there's a bunch of things that happen like slowly where he'll like a chair will move or um he hears banging on the pipes um a ball like slowly rolls down like the stairs out of it's 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 something where they're not showing they they hold back from showing you like quote unquote ghosts necessarily by showing you more of like I guess like a poltergeist type haunting where it's just things moving. Um, there's automatic writing that they like they really do a good job in this movie and we didn't talk about this the last time of kind of like going through the um, the sort of spiritualist revival that was happening in the country in the seventies, mm-hmm. um, Ouija boards and seances right. and whatnot of all these things you know like. Um, electronic voice phenomenon you know automatic writing seances 
like all these things to kind of discover like what's because he doesn't he doesn't recoil from it so much as he wants to understand it and he wants to you know use it as a way kind of to find the connection to his wife and daughter and like is there an afterlife and is there something mm-hmm. because it's like his way of i guess gaining like a modicum of peace in that respect and it turns out that um there was a young boy who was the son of a he's a senator i think right yes um who was sickly and who was murdered by his father and replaced with the changeling of the title of another young boy who was healthy and who eventually grew up to become a senator in his own right and um this the spirit of this boy has been trying to gain justice to that effect so george c scott he investigates it and he figures out the truth and um the old man who was the changeling who's you know now what like in his 70s and the successful like Mm -hmm. united states senator um is kind of finally not really brought to justice but the scales are sort of righted at the end yeah i'm trying to Um, think did we talk about that the first time around like the because I've watching it, I've seen this movie like I don't know, fifteen times or something, probably in my life. But um, maybe more. But I, I was watching this time. And I was like, is he? Is any justice really being served here to some degree? I mean, like this this guy didn't do anything. And but, yeah, I don't want to call it justice, but it's just like it's not even a come up and like this this kid was just replaced. Like I yeah. mean, like he didn't so have it, anything to do with it. He's just paying for the sins of the father, I guess maybe. Well, he's, it's the, again, it's the noble sacrifice. It's the idea of like the inevitability of it that even though it's not his fault, I mean, it's not, you know, Yoshimi's fault that, sure, you know, Mitsuko drowned in dark water, but, you know, she pays the sacrifice in order to kind of like appease the spirit and let her daughter survive. And in this case, you know, the, he's lived a life of luxury and wealth and, it was at the expense of the life of this boy who should have lived and, you know, had similar opportunities. And now the boy is sort of like gaining his, um, his satisfaction, I suppose, and being able to move on um, and not want, you know, haunt the house anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just an odd thing that I like realized, like watching it this time around, I think like more so is that it's like, it is kind of weird. Like, um, but I think that's so that's something that kind of draws all five of these movies together in that sense. And maybe maybe that's an even like better way to put like a fine point on my answer is that there's no fairness in the world of like ghosts. You know, right. it's not like you can't reason with the dead because the dead, you know, can't grow or move on. Like they only know yeah. what they know. Yeah. And that's true in all five of these movies that and actually, you know, the number one movie, um, and it's like pseudo sequel that came out a few years ago is the idea that, you know, it's always inevitable. Like you're always drawn back and eventually, you know, death is going to claim everyone. And yeah. Um, really great performance from George C. Scott in this movie. One of his Um, last great ones, probably. Yeah. Yeah. This one, this is hardcore probably. Um, again, very, I guess you could call it like boring, but it's a methodically plotted movie that gives you some tension in terms of like the haunting and then like kind of like brings it back and then has something else happen. And it's just carried along like so um, expertly by 
by Scott's performance of just wanting to know like he just it's not like running away from the haunted house or you know being attacked by the spirits it's like why is this happening like why does the spirit exist like what does the spirit want and it's um really fascinating there's very few movies that actually follow that track where it's you know not like burn offerings where it's like a terrible spirit like moving people to kill each other it's what does the spirit want like what happened to cause this you know the spirit to be here and i think it's um i think yeah, it's, really it's, it's, it's the investigation element it's always kind of like drawn me back to it i think in some <clears> ways is like you know the fact that this this guy wants to figure this shit out and um is just sad enough and just bored enough um and just competent enough to like reach out and try to find people to like figure out yeah. what the fuck this ghost wants um and and again like, i think to give himself a measure of peace to know sure sure do we go on like is mm-hmm. there life oh man there's some other i forgot about those movies the we go on and um ah shit what's that other one called anyway there's some other really good ghost movies yeah i i saw this when i was six or seven probably for the first time i remember where i was living when i first saw it i always joke about larry gasberry movies my father um who we didn't have a lot of similar taste um but uh he watched this like every time it was on television um uh and he, and he saw it so i i saw this a lot like that way and then i watched it subsequently on my own um and yeah i mean i this has always been one of my favorite horror movies um like you you're like my kindred spirit like with this movie because it feels like most people um aren't like as big a fans of this movie uh whatsoever so let's but. let's talk about that and i want to i want to bring that up because to me that's the thing that like if you've never seen this movie you owe it to yourself to watch this movie alone in the dark right. that's the way to watch it and it will be incredibly effective and it will creep you out and it will linger with you I've watched this movie in a brightly lit room at one o'clock in the afternoon with like four people. And it is not the same movie. Like you will not, right. You will view it in a completely different way and it'll probably seem like ridiculous at points, but this is a movie that's meant to be watched alone and in the dark. I mean, I remember, and I've told this story like several times on the podcast, I think like, I remember this movie going off and I was watching on VHS and like, the blue screen for my VCR was sitting there and just like unable to move almost just like that blue light all over everything, mm. like almost like unwilling to get up and like take it out of the VCR. And it's just, it's, it's a really powerful movie. It's very well done and it's incredibly effective if you watch it in the right setting. Yeah. And not to, not to belabor this, sir, but to bring up Flanagan again real quick, um, Brandy had not seen Midnight Mass, and we've been watching that, and we just got to that episode that ends with um, the disintegration from the sun um, on the boat uh, in Midnight Mass mm. um, with her screaming, and like it's it's another it's another way in which flanagan gets these kind of things i think of like what really makes effective horror um is that when that scene happens and it cuts to the credits he continues the audio after it so you're just sitting there 
continuing to stare at the screen through the credits because the audio of her like sobbing is and and the and the waves um and the water is still happening throughout it and it and it forces you um uh, where that movie necessarily didn't force you it was your own feeling but it's like he's forcing you almost to have that feeling and just keep going with it um and it's like an extremely effective thing that's like another thing that like um I don't know if I can talk about like hauntings and ghosts anymore without like bringing up Flan again. I think it's like yeah. a compulsion now, um, in some ways because it's so great. But all right, um, number two on your list, uh, returning to Japan, 2001's Cairo, um, also known as Pulse. Do not confuse it with the American remake. Um, it is directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. It stars Kamiko Aso. Ko- Koyoki and uh, oh, this is a hard one for me. Haro Iko Kato. <laughs> um, it has a 75% from critics, 60% from audiences. Um, we've talked about this one before, but you want to go ahead and refresh us on what this movie's about and um, why it's so high on your list. Because this is your favorite, right? It's got to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one, this is one of my. This is one of my favorite horror movies of all time, I think, actually. Um, the premise is that there's this group of students um, at this Japanese university. Uh, one of them is super into tech and the internet. And this is the early stages of the internet. So um, it makes more sense that a lot of people weren't like super like savvy on what, like, what the net is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy has found this guy disappears and his girlfriend is, you know, worried about him, wants to go find him. So when she goes to his house, she finds that it's a lot of disrepair and, um, the lights are off and he's basically like the only thing that's working is his computer and then he hangs himself. So he's dead. So what it turns out is that he found this, um, chat room that asks the question do you want to see a ghost and if you click yes it goes to a live cam of just a room where you see a person in the room or something in the room and that basically ghosts are using the internet to infect spaces like rooms with their presence and then the rooms are sealed off and the ghosts can kind of take the place of the living person there because the ghosts want to take the place of the living because that's you know that's their desire is to get back into the world so this is how they're doing it so your hero of your movie is this guy who's basically a technological idiot who like doesn't even know how to use the internet really and um he's the one that's kind of the most immune and he you know gets involved with the um <clears throat> the girl from I can't remember if she's the guy's girlfriend or not. I I watched this movie like a month ago, so I don't remember. Anyway, so I never told she was the girlfriend, but but she's involved with the guy in the sense that they're like mm-hmm. like partners at school, kind right. of right. Yeah. Um. I I think it's sort of implied that she had some affection for him, but he was kind of distant because he was really into, and that's why she sort of like gravitates towards the hero, um, because he's a, he's different. Like he's more into like the visceral like thrill of like being alive right so eventually these ghosts start to spill out into the world and they find out that 
the only way that you can keep them out is by taping up your windows and your doors with this red tape um and that will keep the ghosts from like getting in or i guess keep the ghosts from getting out too like once they're in the place um but it's almost too late because the ghosts start to infect everything to the point where like planes are crashing out of the sky um and in the end the only way they can get away is by getting on this boat and the hope is that they can travel across the ocean and hopefully there's like still some life i think they're going to australia if i'm not mistaken at the end but um they're both infected too and she dies and then he dies and the end result is that the idea is that the world is basically at its apocalypse and the apocalypse is that everyone's just going to fade to dust and then that'll be that um kind of a ridiculous premise but it's really well done uh this is kayoshi kurosawa the director of this movie who's one of my favorite um japanese directors from around this time period um some of the most inventive and visually impressive displays of ghosts i think ever and really like there's there's one scene in, in particular in this movie um that if you don't watch anything else in this movie that actually <clears throat> i was looking for the scene today on youtube and as soon as you type in um actually i i'm that's not true i was looking for stuff on juan and like the fourth search on youtube from juan is the scene from cairo um just the scene so one of the characters like one of the students um is in this room and behind him there's this woman that's coming at him and the woman is like almost like she's moving underwater and at one point like her ankle gives out and like her whole body dips and she kind of does this like swimming motion up but she's sort of like out of focus almost like a soft focus and very slow so it feels like otherworldly and like that it's like almost like time out of joint um until the moment when he hides behind a couch like a fucking idiot to try and get away from her and then he looks up and she's like over the top of the couch and then she gets him kind of but it's brilliant sweetie yeah it um it's maybe maybe the best film sequence of a ghost i think i've ever seen in a movie where you truly feel like you're watching something that should not exist in the real world like yeah. it definitely feels like completely disconnected yeah. from um from reality and there's elements of that both in like the grudge movies and the ring movies and dark water and a bunch of other ghost movies but here it's like it's just so perfectly done and it lasts just long enough where it's like super uncomfortable and then it's gone and then it's back and it's not even a jump scare it's just like gone and then there which again i think is like masterful the way that um kurosawa does it so yeah it's 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 like the only other person that gets close to otherworldly outside of that scene to me at times is lynch mm-hmm um, but it's a different it's totally different it's not that's not to compare to say it's lynching or well like that. it's just it's just a different way of going about something that's like out of this world like, you wonder if lynch saw that scene and was thinking of it when he filmed inland empire because it's really yeah. similar to the when laura dern is like coming at you on the screen and it's like it's true dippy and slow and weird and then all of a sudden she's just like there and it's mm-hmm. um yeah really effective that's that that's a really good scene in inland empire yeah um i need to watch that movie again i think i underrated that movie a little bit 
we talked about on the podcast. And, I know, but and we both ended up liking it much more than the first time. We yeah, saw it. I hated it the first time I yeah. saw it, but I think that was yeah. Harry Knowles's fault. Um, I, 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 I don't know. We'll talk about some more. Um. <laughs> so anyway, so this captures everything that I love in like a like a good ghost movie and it's it's almost alien like i think that's an important part of ghosts is that they have to feel like so disconnected from the physical world that it's almost like an alien species so it's got that feel to it it's not fair in the sense that like the ghosts are just like forcing people to die basically so they can take their place and it's unavoidable in a lot of ways um it also is one of the better post-apocalyptic movies of the past like 20 years because by the time they get towards the end of that movie, there's no one alive, like in all of Tokyo or wherever they are. Um, and it feels desolate. Like it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're watching people just like commit suicide or when you see people that you don't know are ghosts and then like you find out that they are like all those things are just really masterfully done. Um, yeah, and we talked about this, um, you know, three years ago or whatever, and it's kind of a trite point probably to make about this movie, but um, how prescient, like, you know, to some degree it is um, about the, you know, as an analogy, the potential destructive nature of the internet um, in a lot of ways. Um, the idea of being kind of corrupted, um, sure. you know, by it. Um, and I wanted to bring that up to you because it's like, the more I thought about it, it's like Ringu, um, juan like this like all have elements of this idea of extending of spreading um what do you and through and through technology in a lot of ways too yeah through two of them definitely you know um but there's phones in uh juan too right like you know where they're actually yeah you get called by the ghosts and then you're sort of infected yeah so um we talked about sometime uh last year or last october i think right um we talked about tetsu um <laughs> the iron man what do you think it is do you, do you have any knowledge of like what the obsession is with technology um in japan and like why there's this uh fear of it i mean anyway? that was their thing right like post-world war ii that's how they rebuilt you know sanyo hyundai honda whatever like all those companies sure reinvigorated the japanese economy by producing electronics and for decades you know you couldn't think about even coming close to like the quality of japanese electronics Mm -hmm. but that sort of infected their lives too like over here you know you might have had like some parents played nintendo with you when you were young but for the most part nintendo was a toy right like you didn't really think of it as being like something that the whole family did but in japan like the whole like everyone in the family was using computers and playing video games i mean they would have um when dragon quest games came out they close businesses like because everyone just calls out so it's a national holiday the day that a dragon quest game comes out because everyone is so invested and it's it's in all forms of media too so you know we mentioned you talk about the ring and so the ring is a videotape you know you talk about cairo cairo is the internet there's one the one missed call series by takashi Mike, yeah, right where it's cell phones um uh-huh. it's always something where 
and I think it goes again to the just how deeply rooted in their spiritualism and their mythology the idea of vengeful spirits and ghosts are is that why would the ghosts not evolve you know along with with time like why would the ghosts not use the same technology because if you think about it like we had this conversation via text a few days ago me you and orion it's like with all the you know beautiful cell phones and megapixel you know cameras we have and stuff you don't see no bigfoot videos anymore you know what i mean right there ain't nobody capturing the loch ness monster in scotland right so it kind of has like almost eliminated like that feeling of mystery so the horror is that you know it's not the victorian ghosts like shuffling around the manor it's the idea that that ghost can you know use your your technology against you basically like that it still is inevitable and inescapable um yeah. well, right uh, well right it's like the the things that are like cryptozoological things and stuff like that like oh yeah you don't hear about those things anymore like um really like nobody's getting video of those things um but with the spread of cell phones and the accessibility and all those kind of things it's like what you do see all the time is videos of ghosts the unseen suddenly being seen like uh youtube and tiktok and all these places are just filled with these ghost videos like you know somebody catching something like you know in a room um so it's like the the things that used to be like mysterious or horrifying possibly that we're seeing now that we have access we could capture these things potentially even better than we ever have at any point in history you don't get those but now we have to go to the unseen the unknown um you know and it's like there's there's actually more of a i think there, there's ghosts are all the rage now because yeah. they're the unseen well yeah because there's you know you can't sit there and wait for a fucking bigfoot to come out but you can i don't know capture some like moat of dust like right, right. catching the light exactly sure. or you'd be like oh i got an orb right but the thing is with all these Japanese movies, and it's also true for I mean, if when I know that you're not like the biggest fan of it, but quite on, which to me is like the quintessential like Japanese like ghost horror movie, um their ghost stories are parables, you know, they're warnings about not treating people right and not living a life of honor or respect or this is what happens like when you try to cheat someone out of their you know their rightful reward and i think that they've just you know kept that parable going is like when you detach from reality because you're stuck in your the world wide web this is what happens like you become a ghost of your former self you know and um i don't know what the ring is maybe piracy <laughs> that's probably not true um anyway so there's there's you know there's morality tales in all of these movies as well and it always comes down to you know somebody got treated like shit and now they're just gonna fuck everybody else over forever because of it so just treat people nice so we don't all get stuck in a post-apocalyptic ghost world right uh i think i'll like bite on the next time i watch it um better than i ever did because you've had me watch a lot of shitty anthologies over the years um that i'm sure that's much better 
Python is quite. You should watch some. I, I I should put Jingoku on a list sometime. That's that that's really good and from the same time period. But Quaidon is very purposeful on all of its scenes. Like really, the only one that's like truly the ghost is the the lady in the snow, which is the um. It's a pretty common like myth or whatever folklore across a lot of cultures of the guy that meets the woman they fall in love and she's like you can never do this one thing you know it's like the the bluebeard story or whatever like mm-hmm. you can have everything but don't open this door the woman's like you can have everything but like don't look at me or whatever like don't do this one thing and then the guy does it and then like well i'm actually a ghost and now your life is like i'm can't be with you anymore um, the other ones are much smaller, and the one my my favorite story in all of them is the one with um the guy that has the story of the Ronin like written all over his body, mm-hmm. um, and they come and they tear apart like the opposing forces, and he's spared because he has their story written on him, except on his ear, which gets ripped off um, because he couldn't write like on his ears. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's a beautiful movie. It's incredibly well done. I always think about. I thought about putting it on this list the first time we did it. I thought about putting it on here this time, but I feel like there's got to be a better place to talk about that movie. Like I really want to give that movie its due someday. So, yeah. Huh. And actually, I know when I'm going to do it, but that'll be a surprise. Hmm. Oh, right. Um. <clears throat> I thought it was going to be the the one episode I give you for like a top five 60s horror. Um, but I, I, I know what you're thinking. All right. So number one on your list is um, no different from the, from the first time we did this list, which is 1980s, The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, Scatman Crothers, 85% from critics, 93% from audiences. Um, so we uh weeks ago um as uh, part of the 150 episode sat down for the first time ever for the two of us uh we've never watched the shining together we sat down and did a watch along which will be part three of this 150th episode uh so we're not going to talk too much necessarily about the shining we episode one we spent 45 minutes on it i think and um uh, almost and then we have a whole watch along where we discuss it um uh, at length um I, the one thing i do want to ask you out of this though is um what, what 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 was your one or two like major takeaways like watching it again like this time around do you think Frank? i mean i think that we i looked at the scene at the end when she's kind of escaping the hotel and she sees all the cobwebs and the dust and the skeletons watching it with you and like us like actively talking about it made me look at that scene a little different Mm -hmm. um so i think it's really impressive that a movie that i mean you've seen more than me but i've seen at least like a couple dozen times in my life and am always very focused on can be so rich in detail that you can still find new things you know 30 years after seeing it for the first time um i think just like super impressed this is a really lame answer but like fucking stanley kubrick is amazing like it's so 
difficult to overstate right. like right. how amazing of a director he is and hot, hot take <laughs> right i know <laughs> right but i mean seriously like it's no he's fucking incredible you don't right. think about it sometimes because right. you watch all this like bullshit and you're taking it for granted i think right and it's it's one of those things when when you watch a movie from a truly great director and i actually i felt this way a few times recently like i felt this way watching um to some extent watching uh the grand budapest the other day the mm. um wes anderson movie mm-hmm. i felt this way watching um licorice pizza a few weeks ago for the podcast um watching um what's it called a couple of, um once upon a time in america a few years ago like yeah. there's just certain movies when you when you see them and you're just reminded of this is what someone with true talent can do watching the northman Mm-hmm. um a couple weeks ago you know you just you, you look at it and you're like this is why some directors are separated from the rest of just like a standard director and it's like oh no man the shining it's just it's 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 almost a perfect movie like it's really difficult to i think take anything away from that movie unless you're really being like pedantic about it being an adaptation of the stephen king and then like I'll give you that that it's it's not a very good adaptation <clears throat> from like a like a plot beat perspective. But if you can get past the fact that it's a just a reimagining by a genius of mm-hmm. a piece of literature, and I think that over not literature, I can't believe I said that of this book. Um, <laughs> that that, think, that is about as pretentious as me when i title things films or movies in the titles of the podcast it's fine <laughs> i don't I, I stand by it and i'll i'll love the stephen king because i have read the majority of his books and for a long time i would have told you he was my favorite like working author but he ain't writing no literature man he's writing books um and they're good books it's just you know whatever anyway as long as you don't have to be like all precious about the fact that it's not like a beat by beat adaptation, like it's fucking amazing. You know, I don't see how you can really detract anything from yeah. it. Yeah. And there's yeah. so many layers and you can interpret it so many ways. Even know. those lunatics that the room, whatever, 237, 237 yeah. uh, documentary that are like trying to link it to the Holocaust and the genocide of Native Americans and the fucking moon landing or whatever. Fucking right, yeah. Weirdos um it just shows that like if you really put the effort into it you can pull a lot of things out of that movie so yeah do you, do you think it is this is probably maybe almost an unfair question to ask you like on the spot do you think it's the best cinematography in a horror movie potentially ever man i don't know what's better yeah that's why i was that's why it's probably unfair to ask you without like real thought um um it's definitely i mean it's this it's texas chainsaw it's the exorcist the wicker man i mean those are like your top in terms of cinematography like capturing the be- the visceral beauty of something that perfectly matches with the tone of the movie like it's those four but then in like the modern era i would give you 
Northman, I would well, not sorry, yeah, Hardy, Edgar, Edgar's in the lighthouse, I would say. Yeah, the yeah. lighthouse. I think um Aster with Midsummer, I think, has amazing cinematography. Sure. Um The Witch is mm-hmm. one of the most perfectly filmed like horror movies ever. And even something like It Follows, like It Follows has this and House of the Devil, there's another one that just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. maybe not as like crisp and gorgeous as The Shining, but is like the exact right cinematography for what the those movies are trying to do (coughs) that's actually one of my only complaints about dr sleep is i think it feels too clean like it feels too yes produced and when you get to the overlook like it doesn't have quite the same menace because it just looks so nice right um no i i think yeah when we talk about dr sleep yeah I, i do think it looks too clean um and a, and a little and a little cartoonish but i mean that's an adult going in there as opposed to a child right. and that's me putting that on the movie the movie doesn't say that whatsoever well, but one I mean, of the things trying to explain it off but if you really have the wherewithal to sit down and listen to us like talk about the shining in real time as we watch it one of the things that we talk about repeatedly is how kubrick will overexpose the distance so he's blowing out the light coming in from windows mm-hmm. so that every scene you see where you're looking at a window there's no world behind that window yeah. it's just yeah. it's and it's, it's things like that that are he does like it it's with the sky too on the topiary garden yeah like it feels obvious when you talk about it but at the same time like how brilliant is that for that right. man to purposefully right. every single time like make sure that you are not seeing anything but what's happening inside yeah where he wants you to see and it's like yeah yeah i, I mean i don't know it's it's yeah. kubrick's films have some of the best cinematography sure well that's what i was going to say so so um john alcott that does the cinematography for this works with him on 2001 clockwork orange barry linden and the shining barry um, barry, barry linden is the most perfectly right. filmed movie of all time right i will die on that hill so 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 he, he does all those with Kubrick um all of them in terms of cinematography like gorgeous right like yeah. even in, no matter what you think of the movie cinematography was gorgeous movies the movie that he does in the same year as The Shining is Terror Train that he that John Alcott um that he's a cinematographer for so I think it shows you what Kubrick <laughs> really does like look no disrespect to John Alcott. Um, it shows you what Kubrick brings to it. Right. You know, um, because I mean, the other things that John Alcott does, like later in his career, Beastmaster, um, Whitewater Summer, <laughs> No Way Out, you know, I mean, fi- like it, finally filmed movies, you know, I mean, like, but it's like he does all of those Kubrick movies and then he does those movies. And it's like, you know, I, it shows what a master Kubrick I think is as a director honestly I think why I, I think we should do an episode at some point talking about um five best cinematographers of all time hmm. okay because I would like to talk about Alcott I would like to talk about um I don't know like uh Vittorio Storaro um who I might be my favorite cinematographer hmm. like ever hmm. um I don't know there's yeah. plenty of people that we could you know talk about and i would just like to talk you know sure i think it would be an interesting episode yeah because you talk about like 
you know, 25 movies roughly in the same time that we talked about five. Right. Right. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really unfair question, I think, because it's always going to be The Shining, probably. Yeah. Um, I need to watch Terror Train now and look at the cinematography. <laughs> it's been a long watched, time since I've watched that movie. I've watched Terror Train twice in the past three years. Um, because you watched it and then you forgot you watched it and you had to watch it again. No, I watched it and then I and then Joe Bob put out an episode where mm. Terror Train was on there and I watched it with Joe Bob Briggs. Um, you know, Storaro did the cinematography for The Bird with Crystal Plumage. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. huh. that's interesting. I I, I, I like the way that looks. Yeah. Um. Weird, um, weird movie. It is. Um, most of them are. There's Italians with their. So, last thing I wanted to ask you: um, the priest molested me. <laughs> now I'm a murdering everyone. It's all. It's all. It's always that. Yeah. You told me that, and I didn't believe you. And it's it's always like something along. My mama lines. made me wear a dress, and now right, I gotta yeah. kill everyone. My my yeah. My son was like you know like. uh brutally murdered so i'm gonna kill everybody now like, my son was breastfeeding until he right. was 10 and now i'm a murderer in everyone <laughs> right hey frank's italian by the way his last name is pelican um my last name is jasper so um <laughs> that mean we're allowed to make absolutely does. cultural stereotypes yes. That's fine. <laughs> hey i got some parmesan in my pasta now i gotta stab you in the groin hey <laughs> If I'm me wear could, your genitals as a mask, hey. If we could put television shows on here, would um, would Hill House have made it over these five? Yeah, yeah maybe. I'm I'm a real huge fan of um Bly Manor, man. Like I think I like Bly Manor just as much as I like Hill House. I think it's a one A one B for me, but um, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like when we talked about Blind Manor, you you put it as uh, the reverse of me, like one A one B, um, Blind Manor over Hill House. I think you did. And I don't know. I mean, there's no reason for that except that I just really like the way that Blind yeah. Manor looks, and I like. Yeah, it, it's tough. It's like it's when you watch Hill House, it's like Hill House is your favorite. When you watch Blind Manor, I think Blind yeah. Manor is your favorite. Um, so the thing that that Flanagan really does well too is that. It's that twist of the knife that, that that really gets you in like a really good ghost movie and that who is the broke neck woman? Oh, here it is. You know, mm-hmm. why is the faceless woman coming out of the or you know, what what's what's up with the people inside Blind Manor? Like who's what's the deal with the governess? Oh, here it is. Like, you know, I mean, all that shit is just so fucking masterful, man. Fl- Flanagan's uh Yes. I'm I'm really excited for that Poe. Um yeah, I'm excited for that and uh, Midnight Club. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's I think that's soon, right? That's like soon, October. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think I don't think they're waiting till October for um, Fall of the House Usher. Um, I think it'll be. I think it's supposed to be sometime early, like first quarter of maybe second quarter of um, twenty three. Yeah, that's still a long wait. Could be it dead is. by then. Yeah. <laughs> Could be a ghost myself. Right. Be be coming through Zoom. <laughs> I'm just on back to my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get sucked uh, into the Zelda room and then you would demolish it. That's true. That 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 might be happening in 23. Uh, <laughs> uh all right. Um any final thoughts on redoing all this? No. Um 
I think it'll be interesting as we continue on through the years to, you know, revisit certain lists sometimes. Yeah, um, I want to do it once a year, I think, um, of like or those early episodes of like redoing it. Just for some perspective, like when I make the lists, I inevitably will re-edit them. Like in the beginning, I was like re-editing them constantly. And now I just try and like, here's my five and that's what I'm going with. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty rare when I'll come to you and say like, hey, we need to change a movie. Um, we did it last week with the animated. But, right. um, it's, it's rare. We just did it last week. Right. But when's the last time before that? It's usually true. It's true. usually it's I'll true. just stick with what I got. But I'm constantly thinking like, man, you idiot. Like, how did you miss that movie? Or man, like, why did you forget? You know, do you get angry at me sometimes? Like, or like when, when it's like, I bring up a movie, like, you know, oh, what did she have anything else? Well, what about this movie? Like, you know, I, no, that's fine. I mean, I'm not going to remember every movie. Right ever always you know yeah so right. yeah i really enjoyed doing it i thought it was a yeah good time I, I my favorite part of the whole thing was actually watching all those um juan <laughs> movies in sequence because i've never done that before and it actually increased my enjoyment of that series by a significant amount in doing that so yeah cool all right so we will be back next week um not doing a six-hour podcast um we'll be back to a, a normal normal episode where we'll be covering the top five movies in 1975 horror movies in 1975 mm, um i don't even know if i've watched anything on that list yet i've, I've seen it all <clears throat> i've seen everything um but um and then we will be back um in july um, oh i watched almost every single one of those movies already. <laughs> never mind in july we will be back with a deep dive on uh the lost boys and then we will be um covering the finally covering the top five superhero movies outside the mcu and then the top five horror movies in 1976 so only for us <laughs> it's a good list and it, it it is a good list it's just there's something about it that like i'm gonna be ener- I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be energetic by the time we get there i promise i'm mm-hmm feel it in my bones so uh, i whatever okay i told you we didn't have to do it no i, I want to do it because i don't want to talk about it every year <laughs> oh i thought it could have been a fun running joke like i never do no, it no those jokes aren't fun to me because i have to think <laughs> about it and i just don't want to think uh, about it uh okay all right thanks for listening everybody deuces <laughs> <laughs>